Hi folks, welcome back to another episode of Dose Makes the Poison, the ToxCast. I'm Kevin, I'm your host, and today we're talking about a couple of plants that contain different chemicals, but function in the same way in the body. And these are very toxicologically relevant compounds. These chemicals or compounds are called cardiac glycosides. But first, let's listen to this. Deal, ma'am. Sorry, sir. You are the big blind. Small blind, please. Bond's been poisoned. He's going into cardiac arrest. Stay calm and don't interrupt because you'll be dead within two minutes unless you do exactly what I tell you. I'm all ears. Remove the defibrillator from the pouch. Do we know what it is yet? I'm still scanning. Attach the leads to your chest. Curricular tachycardia, digitalis. What the hell do we give him? Okay, that's amphetamines. As soon as it reads charge, okay, that'll work. Bond. Don't push the red button. Yeah, do you hear me? Don't push it yet. His heart's gonna stop. It's only time for one charge before he passes out. Take the blue combi pen, Bond. Mid-neck, into the vein. That'll counteract the digitalis. You're going to pass out in a few seconds and you need to keep your heart going. Push the red button now, Bond. Bond, push the damn button. Do it now!
okay? Me? Thank you. You're welcome. I'll get yourself off to hospital. I will do. As soon as I've won this game. So that clip was from the uh, 2006 James Bond film Casino Royale, which is based on the 1953 Ian Fleming novel of the same name. It's a James Bond novel. Uh, the film stars Daniel Craig as 007 James Bond, Eva Green as Vesper Lind, Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chief, Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter, and Judy Dench as M. Uh, so basically what happens in the movie, after earning 00 status and a license to kill, Secret Agent 007 James Bond sets out on his first mission. James must defeat a private banker funding terrorists, and he has to do it in a high-stakes game of poker at Casino Royale Montenegro. Uh, so what happened in that scene? During, a, uh, during the high-stakes Texas Hold'em tournament, uh, you have Lashif's girlfriend, Valenka. It's his girlfriend and henchwoman, per, um, I guess you would say. Um, she actually poisons Bond's martini glass with something called digitalis. Bond notices almost immediately after drinking it. He stands up. He commands the dealer to deal him out. Uh, he tries to make himself vomit by drinking salt water. He leaves the casino staggering, sweating. You could tell he's got blurred vision. He's staggering around. He gets to his Aston Martin DBS V12, his car, uh, where he can then communicate back with London, back with MI6, um, where then he is instructed that he will be dead in two minutes, and he needs to retrieve a defibrillator and antidote from the car. MI6 determines Bond is suffering from ventricular tachycardia, and it's from digitalis. Bond administers the antidote that he pulls from the, the kit, uh, which is lidocaine and a combi pen. Uh, and then he unsuccessfully revives his heart via the defibrillator before passing out. Uh, Vesper Lind comes upon him, finds him, is able to revive him with another shock from the defibrillator. Bond pops back up, collects himself, and returns to the Texas Hold'em game. We'll get back to this scene in a little while. But first, we have to talk about what some of these things are. So let's first talk about cardiac glycosides. So what the heck are cardiac glycosides? So cardiac glycosides are a group of compounds that are found in various plants across the world. Uh, we'll discuss digitalis, which is the plant you just heard referenced in the clip from Casino Royale. And then we'll also talk about Lily of the Valley. But there are many other uh, plants that contain cardiac glycosides. These include um, nerium oleander, the oleander tree, asclepius, milkweed. Those both contain the compound oleandrin. There's a uh, tree called the upas tree, antiaris toxicaria. It contains the compound antiaron, which is a cardiac glycoside. All of these compounds, no matter what they are, they're still in the same class. So whether it's oleandrin, antiarin, digitalis, anything like that, they all function in the same way in the body. So no matter the plant, no matter the specific chemical, they all are cardiac glycosides. And their primary mechanism of action in the body is the inhibition of the sodium-potassium adenosine triphosphatase enzyme basically which is found in the myocardium of the heart, or the heart muscle. 
Um, it's a long name, sodium potassium adenosine triphosphatase. You sometimes hear it as sodium potassium ATPase, or more commonly known as the sodium potassium pump. Why is that important? Uh, the sodium potassium pump basically performs many, many important functions in the cell, in the body. It is involved in nerve cell signaling. It's involved in heart contractions. It's involved in kidney function. In the simplest of terms, the sodium potassium pump continually pumps sodium ions out of the cell and potassium ions into the cell. And it's powered by ATP, adenosine triphosphate, or energy. This continual pumping of sodium ions out, potassium ions in, creates a gradient between those sodium and potassium ions. If, if this pump was to fail or was to merely be slowed down, the sodium ions would accumulate within the cell and then intracellular potassium ion concentration would decrease. So sodium ions would increase inside the cell, potassium ions would decrease. The increase of sodium ions inside the cell results again in, a, in another action. The increase of sodium ions inside the cell results in a decrease in activity of something called the sodium-calcium exchanger. Everything in biology and chemistry is linked. Remember that. So if the increase of sodium ions will then decrease activity of the sodium-calcium exchanger, which is a protein that removes calcium from the cell. So again, we're going to go back again for this. Sodium-potassium pump continually pumps sodium ions out of the cell, potassium ions into the cell. If that pump was to fail or slow down, sodium ions accumulate within the cell. And then as those sodium ions accumulate in the cell and increase in the cell, that decreases the activity of the sodium-calcium exchanger, which removes calcium from the cell. I mean, why is that important? Calcium facilitates the interaction between actin and myosin during muscle contraction. Reducing the calcium in the cell allows muscle to relax, which is vital for the heart to be in a uniform, controlled manner. Increased calcium in the cell inhibits that controlled beating of the heart, and it allows for more forceful contractions of the heart muscle to take place. So in other words, that increased calcium inside the cell can basically cause the heart to beat more forcefully or irregularly. Effects of these chemicals on the body include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, blurred vision, color disturbances, halos, and then serious cardiac events such as arrhythmias, like ventricular tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, and even something like atrioventricular block or AV block can occur. There have been cases of psychosis with hallucination described after consuming these compounds. Okay, back, back to that Casino Royale scene. You're probably asking yourself, what is digitalis? We, we, uh, digitalis all, I mean, obviously contains a cardiac glycoside. But what is digitalis? Digitalis is a genus of about 20 species of plants, traditionally called foxgloves. 
They are native to Western, Southern Europe, Western and Central Asia, Northwestern Africa, but you can find them pretty much anywhere right now. I've grown them in the past here in the Midwest, United States. I currently do have a few digitalis plants in my garden right now. I'll post a picture of them on social media for you to look at. They're really pretty flowers. But the best known of this plant, I said, the foxglove plants, this one is called the common foxglove or digitalis purpurea. It's the one you commonly see grown in foot gardens, and it's the one I have growing in my garden now. The flowers range from white to purple to pink. Uh, there are several other species of digitalis that are grown for ornamental reasons. And one of the other important species is digitalis lanata, also known as the woolly foxglove. So you're probably thinking to yourself now, why is it named foxglove? Uh, just a little bit of a little bit of trivia and history here. Uh, the digitalis plant um, was first discovered by Leonard Fuchs in 1542, and that family surname of Fuchs is German for fox. The genus name digitalis is from Latin digitus, which translates to finger, and that references the shape of the flowers. So once you look at a picture of these foxglove flowers, you'll kind of see where the name comes from. It comes from a surname, and it comes from the shape of the flowers. And then because of all of that, the name was recorded in, in English as fox's glove, or glofa, or fox's glove. Digitalis, the plant, was first used in medicine I mean, a few hundred years ago, in the late 1700s, when William Withering first described the use of Digitalis purpurea extract for the treatment of heart conditions in his book, and this is a long title for a book, an account of the foxglove and some of its medical uses with practical remarks on dropsy and other diseases. Dropsy is an old term for edema or fluid retention, swelling of the body, basically the buildup of fluid in the body tissues. The digitalis plant itself contains, again, a cardiac glycoside, and these glycosides are called digitoxin and digoxin. These are two separate but related compounds. Digitoxin was first isolated from digitalis by Oswald Schmiedeberg in 1875, and digoxin was isolated a little bit later in 1930. So digoxin itself, it is on the World Health Organization, or WHO's, uh, list of essential medicines. It, yes, it is. It is a pharmaceutical drug. It is a medication. The brand name of the pharmaceutically derived medication is Lenoxin, among many other names that it goes by. It's used to actually treat cardiac issues such as atrial fibrillation, atrial flutter, which is irregular heartbeat, and cardiac failure. Uh, typically, when it's administered, it's either taken orally or by IV injection. So as I had already talked about, digoxin and digitoxin's primary mechanism of action, as they are cardiac glycosides, their primary me mechanism of action in the body is the inhibition of that sodium-potassium pump, which is very, very important, as it can cause the heart to beat more forcefully or irregularly. The occurrence of these side effects, especially the adverse effects, is pretty common with digoxin, the medication. It has a very steep dose response curve or narrow therapeutic index, which is essentially the margin between when it's effective and when it's toxic. There's a very narrow in index there. Uh, small, so basically small changes in dose 
can lead to very drastic differences in effects in the body. And again, those adverse effects can range from nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, blurred vision, and even to this very serious cardiac arrhythmias, ventricular tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, those sort of things. Because of these adverse effects, digoxin has kind of fallen out of favor over the last few decades for medications such as beta blockers. And beta blockers are the OLOL drugs, the OLOL drugs, such as metoprolol, atenolol, propranolol, uh, calcium channel blockers. I call them the dipping drugs like amlodipine, nifedipine, uh, the ACE inhibitors, the pril drugs, captopril, lisinopril, those sort of things. Uh, and then the uh, mineral corticoid antagonists. Uh, the one drug that I can think of like that is uh, spironolactone. Uh, digoxin has a very, very long half-life, and we've talked about half-life in th- on this podcast before. Its half-life for digoxin is approximately 30 to 45 hours. So when you think again of half-life, that's the amount of time it takes for the drug to be cut in half in the body. So this digoxin itself is mainly eliminated by the body via the kidneys, Digitoxin, on the other hand, has a much longer half-life. So where digoxin had a half-life of 30 to 45 hours, digitoxin has a longer half-life of about 4 to 10 days. That's 96 to 240 hours. So remember, again, we've talked about this before. Uh, We we use the the 4 to 6 half-lives rule in forensic toxicology where a drug should be detectable in blood for four to six half-lives. So with either of these substances, it means that it can be detected for a long, long time. So in a moment, I'll be back to talk to you about another cardiac glycoside. Convalaria majalis, otherwise known as lily of the valley, It's a flowering plant that is native throughout the northern hemisphere in the cooler, more temperate regions of Europe and Asia. But again, you can grow it here in the United States quite easily. Uh, The plant itself uh, produces very fragrant, bell-shaped white flowers and can be sometimes used as an ornamental plant. Uh, Historically, it's been used as a target fragrance for perfumes. It's a very good-smelling flower. Uh, and in a perfume specifically by Christian Dior, released in the 50s as Diorissimo. Uh, the scent of this uh, perfume was a simulation of the lily of the valley, which was Dior's favorite flower. You will see the flower be used in weddings, especially very posh weddings of royalty. As an example, lily of the valley was featured in the bridal bouquets of uh, Catherine Middleton uh, when she married Prince William. Uh, It was also featured in Princess Grace of Monaco's uh, bridal bouquet. Convalaria does contain many cardiac glycoside compounds. The main one is a substance called convalitoxin. Again, convalitoxin is a cardiac glycoside, and it functions in the same way that digoxin and digitoxin do. Sodium potassium pump inhibition. It makes your heart pump irregularly causing all sorts of cascading issues in the body. Unlike digitalis or digoxin, 
Convalaria has no pharmaceutical medication associated with it. In a forensic tox laboratory, digoxin can be readily detected in blood, urine, or other tissues. Screening can be completed via amino assay, but most labs would utilize some sort of chromatography mass spectrometry platform, something like a liquid chromatography mass spectrometry to detect it via screening and confirmatory testing as well. Uh, Convalitoxin itself is not as readily analyzed in the laboratory, but that's because it typically isn't offered in a normal screening panel. That is, we don't look for it in routine testing, but it can be tested for if necessary. Again, like I said, digoxin is a medication, so we have reasons to test for that routinely. Convalitoxin is not a medication. We don't have reasons to test for that routinely. But again, using liquid chromatography, triple quadruple mass spectrometry, time of flight mass spectrometry, we can readily detect these compounds in the modern forensic toxicology laboratory. It's just that we have to be kind of told that we need to be looking for these sort of compounds. So as you heard at the top of this episode, uh, Digitalis was used to poison James Bond in Casino Royale. But these sort of compounds have been used in the movies, television, literature, and even music as a device to poison. I can't list every single instance out there. But I just wanted to briefly talk about some of the most well-known appearances, or at least in my opinion, some of the most well-known appearances of Digitalis and Lily of the Valley in pop culture. And by the way, again, I'm going to reiterate, I, I already said these compounds can be detected in a forensic lab. So please don't get any ideas on poisoning your enemies or your friends with them. It's the job of people like me to detect them. And I am happy to say that we are good at what we do. We will be able to find these compounds, so don't get any ideas, people. Don't do it. All right. Agatha Christie's 1938 novel, Appointment with Death. And the, this this uh, novel features Her- Hercule Poirot, um, who, while taking a holiday in Jerusalem, investigates the death of Mrs. Boynton, a tyrant and stepmother. Uh, the poisoning is discovered to be digitoxin. I hope I'm not spoiling a book from 1938 for you, but the poisoning uh, is discovered to be digitoxin, is like I said, which was a substance she actually took medicinally. But the kind of the the twist to this story is it was not administered via her normal medication. It was given to her via a hypodermic syringe. In music, American rock band The Decemberists released an album called The Hazards of Love in 2009. The album itself is a rock opera about a woman named Margaret who falls in love with a shape-shifting forest dweller named William. The forest queen, who is also William's mother, and Rake, who is a widower and a philanderer, uh, cause conflict in this love story. So the 10th track on The Hazards of Love album is called The Rake's Song. It's a three-minute, 16-second song which tells the story of how Rake murdered his three children in order to be rid of the responsibility of raising them. He murders one of his daughters by feeding her foxglove.
In Season 9, Episode 5 of Columbo, um, the episode title is called Uneasy Lies the Crown, a dentist tries to preserve his lifestyle by killing his wife's lover, who is also a patient of the dentist, and he frames her for the killing. The wife is prescribed the Joxin tablets for a diagnosed heart condition. The dentist actually takes 10 tablets of her prescription medication, grinds them up in a mortar pestle, makes a putty out of them. And places, this is this kind of weird, but places the ball of putty in place of the crown filling that he's, he is replacing on the patient. Remember, that patient is also the wife's lover. Kind of a twisted tale. Uh, this will act as a kind of a slow release of the Jackson into the man's system over time, which will then have deadly consequences later in the day or the night as he has a heart attack and dies. I'm Mrs. Corman. Mrs. Corman? Dad? Yes? Are you all right, huh? What's happening? I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand about the poison. Well, what about it? Well, Wesley told me that you found poison in a margarita glass. That's true. But, Lieutenant, all I did was make a margarita. I don't know anything about any poison. Well, ma'am, there are two things that we can't get around. He died from digitalis, and there was digitalis in the glass. Actually, there are three. Can we go to the pool house? Mr. Evans did not die up on Mulholland Drive. He was dead when the car went over the cliff. He died here in the house, probably right there on that couch. And if you're wondering how I know, ma'am, it was all in the autopsy report that you and Mr. Evans were making love shortly before he died. And under those circumstances, not many women would call their husbands for help. They would call 911, let the paramedics clean things up, then call their husbands. Well, that's who I called. I called 911. You called 911? Are you sure? I'm not sure of anything that happened that night, but I am sure that I pressed the 911 button, yes. On that phone? Yes, on that phone. Sorry, mistake.
What happened after your husband and brother came here? I don't know. All I remember is Adam collapsing and then pressing the 911 button. Are those your pills outside on the table? Yes. Take as directed. How many do you take a day, I take two. Do you ever take more? Oh, no, never. They're much too dangerous. But this prescription for 50 tablets is dated 15 days ago. That means there should be 20 left. Hold out your hand. Did you take one today? Yes. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Any idea what happened to the other nine pills? No. You think I poisoned Adam, don't you, Lieutenant? It does look that way, doesn't it, man? Digitalis was also featured in an episode of the Angela Lansbury classic TV series Murder, She Wrote. I believe it was episode five of season four. Uh, Digitoxin itself has been used for murder in real life, in reality. Not just TV, movies, not just music, nothing like that. Not just literature, but in real life, murder. Uh, Marie Alexandrine Becker. Belgian serial killer, nicknamed the Black Widow. Uh, she killed 11 people by poisoning them with digitoxin and attempted to poison five more people unsuccessfully. Marie had an affair with another man in 1932 and then poisoned her husband with digitalis. She kind of grew tired of the lover, then poisoned him too. She began to party in local nightclubs, which was Kind of expensive, it cost money. So she opened up a dress and sewing shop, which led to her robbing her patrons for money. And then when they found out they were being robbed, she would poison them with digitoxin. Uh, Becker was actually arrested in 1936 as she was preparing her 17th attempt at digitalis poisoning. She was originally sentenced to death in 1938, but her sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. She died in prison in 1942 in Nazi-occupied Belgium, and she was, I believe, the age of 62 when she died. Decades later, American serial killer Charles Cullen confessed to murdering 40 patients during the course of his 16-year career as a nurse in New Jersey. Further investigations revealed that his murder count was much, much higher than what some experts estimated um, some experts were actually estimating up to about 400 deaths attributed to his doing. Uh, the murders began in 1988, ended in 2003. So really, when I first got involved in this job in forensic toxicology is when the murders ended, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, Charles Cullen utilized the Jackson as a tool for poisoning and murder. But he used other things as well. He used insulin, he used epinephrine, um, those sort of compounds. But he was arrested in December of 2003, convicted in 2004, sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences. He will not be eligible for parole until 
2,403, so 2403. In 2006, he was attending a sentencing hearing, and in, he actually upset the judge by repeating over and over and over, Your Honor, you need to step down. And he did that for like 30 straight minutes. The judge had him gagged with cloth and duct tape. Uh, he continued to do try to repeat that over and over even after being gagged. And because the judge was so upset by his behavior, the judge gave him an additional six life sentences um, for his crimes. And Charles Collins' reasoning behind all of these deaths and, and being a serial killer was kind of twofold. He told detectives that he could not bear witness to or hear attempts about saving a person's life. Base, remember, he was a nurse. And he couldn't bear witness or hear about attempts at saving someone's life. He also stated that he did so to end patient suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanizing the patients. So he killed them. So that's digoxin, digitoxin, digitalis. That's got a long history in uh, music, movies, television, literature, anything like that. Real life serial killer death murder cases. Lily in the Valley, though, is a different story. Lily in the Valley has a much shorter um, life in any sort of pop culture. It hasn't really been used that much in TV, in music, in literature, but it definitely has. There are some standouts. Uh, Lily of the Valley is actually a song by Queen on their third studio album from 1974, which is titled Sheer Heart Attack. And the song itself is not about poisoning. and But I've always thought it was clever, or maybe a coincidence, that the song titled for a poisonous plant that causes cardiac issues to be included on an album titled Sheer Heart Attack. If you want to listen to the album, it's a great song and it's a great album because the album contains other songs like Brighton Rock, Killer Queen, Stone Cold Crazy. But again, I just thought it was pretty clever, or maybe coincidence, like I said, that it appears on something called Sheer Heart Attack. Uh, the, Lily of the, Fa uh, the Lily of the Valley flower was featured in an episode of the series Outlander, which is a historical drama TV series about um, a former World War II nurse named Claire who, in 1945, finds herself transported back to Scotland in the 1700s, which is, I believe, based on a series of novels by uh, Diana Gabalondon. Um, but the Lily of the Valley flower was actually featured in episode three of season one of Outlander, which you can find Outlander, at least here in the United States, on Netflix. So if you want to watch that, go right ahead. Uh, most famously, though, and this is something that will come up all the time when you talk about Lily of the Valley. Most famously, Lily of the Valley was used in the television show Breaking Bad as a poisoning agent during season four, episodes 12 and 13, the last two episodes of the season. It's a long plot line, but I'll condense it for this episode. Um, Walter White is sitting on his back patio near the pool with a gun contemplating life and what to do about the situation in which he finds himself. Basically, he was going he was trying to bring down Gus Fring. He will do anything to protect his family. So, as he spins the gun around the table, it stops and points to a plant pretty ominously. 
The camera pans over to a flower pot with white colored flowers. And later in the scene, the camera zooms in and focuses on the name of the plant. And we can clearly see that the plant is Lily of the Valley. It says it. It has those beautiful white flowers. It is a Lily of the Valley plant. Uh, Walt concocts this plan. So basically we hear later that Brock, one of the other characters who's a child, is in the hospital with flu-like symptoms. But it's getting worse. So remember, symptoms of this nausea, vomiting, diarrhea are all very common side effects. Headache, lethargy, tiredness, stomach pain are common too. Kind of like the flu. Why, Jesse? Gus gave me no choice. I had to call the DEA to protect my family. What else could I do? No, no you son of a bitch. You know what you did. Okay, look, just... Just put the gun down, okay? Just put it down and we'll talk, all right? You, you tell me tell me what it is you think I did. Brock, why did you poison him? Who's Brock? You saw him in my living room just last night. You came to my door and you looked right at him. So don't tell me you don't know him. <laughs> the, the boy, Jesse, I, I have no idea who these people are. Now, please, okay, that's Brock. And and he was, he was poisoned. The ricin! He's dying because someone gave it to him. And only you and I were the only two people on Earth who knew about it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe he went into your pockets. No! I had it. I had the cigarette with the rice in, in my pack this morning. The last time I saw Brock was last night. And this morning, I switched the cigarette into a new pack. There's no way Brock took it himself. Jesse. You're not thinking clearly. Listen, you, you said it yourself, that you had it this morning. Then when could I have possibly gotten it? You, you had Saul do it. What? Yeah. Yeah, I went to his office. He called me and just had to see me today. His big man mountain bodyguard patted me down. That's when he must have sold off of me, right? That's the plan. Was that the plan? Jesse. Why? <laughs> Why, in God's name, would I poison a child? To get back at me! Because I'm helping Gus! And this is your way of ripping my heart out before you're dead and gone! Just admit it! Admit what you did! Admit it! I did not do this! Shut up! Stop! So Jesse confronts Walt about poisoning Brock. Jesse thinks Walt used a cigarette containing ricin in it, which is a whole different storyline. But, of course, Walt denies that he poisoned the kid. But guess what? Walt did poison him. He did it with Lily of the Valley and not ricin. He did it to turn Jesse against Gus, to get Jesse back on Walt's side. Walter White used his knowledge of chemistry to poison a child with Lily of the Valley flower, and this is the plot line of one of the best television shows of all time. It's pretty cool to me, at least, to see this sort of story play out in a major television show. And anyways, I highly recommend Breaking Bad, but I digress. Now getting back to Casino Royale. It's a good scene for a Bond film, but is it accurate? Not so much. I mean, it is TV, it is movies. Uh, Poisoner. 
wouldn't use digitalis for a quick or rapid death. It's not going to take a minute or two for effects to be felt. It's going to take a little bit longer. More likely, if you take digoxin digitalis orally, like Bond did, he drank it. It's it's going to take time to absorb from your uh, from your gastric, from your stomach, into the blood, and then get distributed to tissues. So when you think about that, it's going to take 30 minutes to a couple of hours to take effect, with max effect from two to several hours, I mean six, seven, eight hours later. If administered via intravenous injection or infusion or something like that, effects would take effect much quicker because it's, it's being introduced directly into the blood and then being distributed to the tissues. Remember, again, Bond drank the digitalis in his martini. But hey, it's a movie. I can kind of overlook that stuff. Um, what are you going to do? It's a movie, like I said. Uh, as a side note, I didn't mention it before, but there is an antidote for di- digitalis poisoning. It's called Digibind or Digifab. It's also called, if you want the long name, digoxin immune fab or digoxin specific antibody. It's typically given via IV infusion or injection, but it's only used in very strict circumstances and you must be closely monitored by a doctor. It's quite expensive too. It's, I believe, something like $1,000 to $2,000 a vial of antidote. And over the course of treatment, from what I've been told, um, by medical doctors that you could use several vials. So five, 10, 15 different vials of digibind digifab to treat digoxin poisoning. So in summary, flowers such as foxglove and lily of the valley are pretty to look at. They're awesome. They're pretty flowers, but they contain cardiac glycosides. These specific flowers contain, uh, digitalis contains digoxin and digitoxin, and Lily of the Valley contains convalitoxin. Um, These are very toxicologically significant compounds. They are very important, relevant to forensic toxicology. They have significant effects on the body, on humans, whether exposed either accidentally or on purpose. These compounds have been used in real murders, and poisonings. They've been represented in literature, TV, movies, music. And again, I'm going to repeat this again. So for everyone out there listening, we can find these things in forensic tox labs, people. Don't get any ideas. So that ends this episode of the ToxCast. I hope you learned a little bit about these plants and toxins today. And if this wasn't new information for you, I hope it was a good refresher session. If you'd like to contact me, find the show on Facebook at the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page. Search it out. Give it a like. On Twitter, you can find the show at ToxCast. The email address for the show is DoseMakesThePoisonPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on pretty much any app you listen to podcasts. But if you can, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for the ToxCast, let me know what you think about the show, hit up the email, suggest any topics you want covered in a future episode. If you want to come on the show and talk about forensics, chemistry, toxicology, drugs, poisons, murder, send me an email. Let's talk. So until next time, my friends never practice toxicology in a vacuum.